How many are glad to be in the house of the Lord? Hallelujah. I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Tonight we're just going to believe, trust God that he is just going to do something special in this house. Amen. We're going to, uh, if you've uh, been here the last couple of nights, we began this series on Sunday. And then we uh, came back on Tuesday night and uh, Wednesday night. And here we are again on Thursday night. And we just want, uh, if you weren't here, if this is the first time you've been here this week, uh, we just want you to know that we are having two sessions per night. We're having abbreviated worship services, and we're having two sessions. We'll have a break in between. Tonight's going to be a little bit different from the last two nights in that I'm going to teach the first session to everybody. And then during the break, all of the men will be going downstairs. We're going to be having a split uh, uh, session with the, the ladies remaining upstairs. My wife is going to be teaching uh, you and I will be teaching the men downstairs, and so we're just going to believe that God is going to do some great things. The word of the Lord is going to go forth tonight with power, with anointing. How many? How many just want the word of the Lord to speak to us? I want God to talk to my heart, and I know I got a long way to go. I said I know I got a long way to go, and uh, I just want the word of God to talk to me. I want the word of God to speak to me, and so that I can pursue after the holiness of God. Somebody said Amen. Somebody say, called to holiness. Somebody say, I've been called to holiness. God bless you. You may be seated. The clock is wrong. So that could be a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know exactly which. But I do know that I have to go quickly tonight in this first session. I've got several things I have to cover. I also want to give adequate time for the second session. So I'm going to have to go quickly tonight. And uh, we don't have time to recap uh, really much of anything that we've been talking about. But we find that uh, Paul wrote in the New Testament church uh, at, at Corinth. He wrote to the New Testament church at Corinth. And he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all of them passed through the sea and they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, he's referring here to their forefathers, obviously those who had come before, the forefathers that were brought out of Egyptian bondage. And uh, he says that they walked through the Red Sea, which we know is an Old Testament type uh, of, of a New Testament uh, water baptism. And then they followed under the cloud, which was an Old Testament type of the New Testament uh, infilling of the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit. They first left Egypt. They turned their back on Egypt, which was a type of repentance. And then they went through the, the water, which was a type of baptism. And then they came under the cloud, which is a type of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And so we see that uh, it was only after those things took place that the Lord would then give them the Ten Commandments. Those things happen, and then once those things transpired, then he says, now I can give you the commandments from which I want to govern you by as your God. Now, he didn't give them the Ten Commandments while they were still in Egypt. He didn't give them the law before they passed through the Red Sea. He never told them of his plan for separation before they followed the cloud and were baptized in the cloud. Why? Because as long as the children of Israel were in bondage, they didn't need any rules or commandments. 
As long as they were in bondage, they didn't need that kind of stuff. Because when you're in bondage, you just do what the cruel master tells you to do. But once God delivered them from bondage, then he begins to give them some guidelines. Why? So that they would not again go back to bondage. So that they could be and remain free from bondage. And so I hear people saying uh, in, in regards to our holiness and to separation message that we believe. And they, and they say, uh, you know, you're, you're under bondage. But here's my response to that. Is it bondage that our society asks us to drive a certain speed limit? They say, oh, you know, you go to that church and they've got those, those you know, restrictions and rules, they call them. Just ask yourself, ask them the question, is it bondage that we have laws that tell us that we can't steal one from another? Is it bondage that our society tells us that we, we shouldn't murder one another or harm one another in any way? No, no, that's not bondage that society asks us to do those things. Does anybody feel like you're in bondage when you have to obey the speed limit and stop at stop signs and stop at stoplights and drive on the right side of the road and not the left side of the road? You, you say, I'm in bondage. No. No, that's not bondage. It's, it's, it's because of those standards of living that we have that we have the freedom to get in our cars and drive down the road not fearing so much that we're going to get in a car accident. It's those standards that allow us to feel free to walk down the streets with our wallets and our purses and our hands and, and feel relatively confident that nobody's going to take it from us. It's those requirements of living that allow us the freedom to go through our day without having an overwhelming fear that somebody's going to take our life. In other words, if we don't live up to society's standards, or, or excuse me, we, we don't live up to society's standards because we're in bondage, we do so because we understand that it allows us our freedoms. We do these things because it allows us the freedoms that we have. And the same is true with standards that God has set up in his word. We, we don't live up to these standards that God has set because we're in bondage. We live up to them because we understand that it's in those very standards that allow us our liberties and our freedoms to continue living in, in the freedom wherewith Christ hath made us free. Somebody said amen. So don't believe that lie from the devil when he tells you you're living under bondage. He just wants you to stop living according to God's standard so that he can then have access into your life so he can then pull you back. Somebody said amen. There is power in separation. I'm telling you, there's power in separation. We say it a lot, but separation equals blessing. Separation equals blessing. If you'll have separation in your life, I promise you there will be blessing in your life. I promise you there will be blessing. So we, see the, so, we, so we see that this is the principle of, of separation. That's the principle, the overriding, overarching principle of separation. But then it's up to us to, to dig into God's word in order to find out the practice of separation. We know what the principle is and why we're to do it, but then, okay, what is the practice? What, what are the individual things that we should be doing in order to be living up to this principle of separation? 
And so that's why last night we talked about the issues of modesty. Okay? Please get the CDs if you missed it. We talked last night about the issues of modesty. And, and let, me just, let me just say to all the women that are here how much we men appreciate the ways in which you take the lead in the matters of external outward holiness. Can, I, can the men just say amen to that? We want to thank you. Because we understand that there are modesty issues that, that govern men as well, obviously. But we're, we're also we're well, uh, well aware of the fact that they don't really cause us men to stand out from this world as much as what God has called you to. We understand this. And so I just want to stop for just a moment and say thank you, thank you, thank you for your obedience to the word of the Lord. I don't know if that means anything to you, but I just felt like doing it. For we see that the word of God has set it up so that the woman will lead by example in the external things. And the men are to lead by example in the internal things. For you see, I, I'm going to talk to the men in our split session about the fact that if we're not the prayer warrior of the home, if we're not the, the one who is leading in worship in our home and in, in our churches, if, if we're not the one who is the most exuberant in our witness to the Lord, then, then we're not measuring up to all the areas of holiness that God is calling us to. And ladies, God has not called you to lead by example in those areas. Y'all right, bud? Okay. You, you got to get this, ladies. God has not called you to lead by example in these areas. Now, obviously, you need to do them. Just like as men, we need to be modest. But God did not call us to lead by example in modesty issues. He called you to do that. But God hasn't required you to be the example in the things that God has required us to lead in. Somebody said amen. So, so don't allow that in, the enemy to whisper to you and convince you that holiness only applies to the women. Because that would not be true, nor would it be biblical. For God has called both men and women to live lives of holiness. And the requirements for separation are just as much on the man as they are on the woman, only in different forms and different fashions. So, so we talked last night about modesty. Everybody say modesty. It got a little tight in here. It was all right, though. But we talked last night about modesty, and specifically modesty of dress. Modesty of dress. There's a whole lot of other things that we, we might talk about here tonight, but and I, I couldn't cover it if I, I dealt next two hours about it. There's just so many areas of modesty. But specifically speaking concerning modesty of dress. And let me just add that God expects us to be modest in our dress no matter where we're at or what we're doing. Okay, I think this is important to note. 
men, men and women, men and women, if in public, we need to make sure that we are being modest in our dress. I, I bring this up because I know that many of us in this church go to the beach during the summer. And, and we just, we, listen, we just need to keep in mind that our need for modesty doesn't stop just because we're at the beach, at the pool. Okay? First off, we need to make sure that the holiness of God is governing where we're swimming and around whom we're swimming with. I'm not going to, okay, I mean, there's, there's some pastors and some churches that they say you, you can't go to that kind of stuff. Okay, well, I, I'm not saying something might not change down the future, but I, I, I'm, I haven't drawn that line. I haven't felt to draw that line in the church. Okay, but what I'm relying on is that the people who are going to go to the beach are going to allow the holiness of God to direct you. Okay? Around who you're swimming with and all this kind of stuff. But secondly, we need to make sure that we are dressed in such a way as to not be embarrassed if someone you were not expecting shows up. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going I'm to wear this because I don't think so-and-so will be there, and I don't think so-and-so, and I probably won't see anybody else. And what we're saying is, how I'm looking is immodest. Because I know it's immodest because I don't want so-and-so to see me. As long as people see me who don't know who I am, everything's going to be all right. But I would be really, really embarrassed if so-and-so walks up. So we, we just... We, we have to make sure and remember that the principle is modesty and, and a God-given principle doesn't change based upon where we're at. A principle is a principle if we're on vacation or if we're not on vacation. A principle remains a principle. Somebody said amen. Is that all right? Now, it's this topic of modesty. That also causes us to look closely at the use of makeup. For listen, just, let's, let's just look at what the word says. Okay, you, you deduce from the word of the Lord. For in scripture we find that makeup in the Old Testament and, and throughout history has been associated with brazenness and forwardness, seduction, prostitution. Now obviously I'm not saying that, that everyone who wears makeup is a prostitute. I had I was teaching this one time, and I had somebody get all mad at me and say, well, you said I was a prostitute. No. I shouldn't even have to clarify that, but somebody got mad, so I got to clarify. I'm not saying if, if, if somebody here is wearing makeup that you're a prostitute. I'm saying that those are the type of people that it was associated with in Scripture. And therefore, I think we should take notice of that fact. In the portion of the Proverbs dealing with lust and adultery, the Lord sent out strong warnings about makeup and its purpose. Proverbs 6 and 25. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart. Neither let her take thee with her eyelids. It's not talking about just her eyelids. It's talking about what was on her eyelids. 
In fact, this type of woman, when you read further, this type of woman who, 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 who did these kind of things that would try to take men with her eyelids, this type of woman is described as an evil woman, a strange woman, a whorish woman, and an adulteress. 2 Kings 9 and 30. And when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her face and tired her head and looked out a window. Now, a little background in the story. Jehu was anointed king, and he was given the mission of destroying the family of Ahab. Because the family of Ahab hated the word of God. So he was given the, 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 the mission to destroy this, this family. Jezebel heard he was coming to do this. So she tries to seduce him in order to save her own life. And as a means of seducing him and enticing him, she paints her face. Here, here's what we've got to understand. Makeup has never, never, in Scripture, makeup has never been associated with a virtuous woman. But God always associates it with adultery and prostitution and the wrong kind of women. And because of that, we feel it is just best for men and women to not wear makeup. Okay, I mean... We find a bunch of scriptures in, in the Word of God that talks about makeup and positive and good things. We could visit it, but, but everywhere it's mentioned, it's mentioned in conjunction with those kind of people and for those kind of purposes. I mean, no, we, we talked about that, that, that the one behind the scenes that's pulling the, the strings. And, and there's a reason why, there's a reason why some folks paint themselves up. There's, there's an enticement there. Not all, but... So we just, we just see this. But, but then we, we read of a woman by the name of Esther, and, and, and she was a follower of the Lord. And she, she had a totally opposite paradigm than what the, the, the other women that we talked about had. Watch this. Esther chapter 2 and verse 13. Then thus came every maiden unto the king, Whatsoever she desired was given her to go with her out of the house of the women to the king's house. In the evening she went, and on the morrow she returned into the second house of the woman to the custody of Shashgid, the king's, the king's chamberlain, which kept the concubines. She came unto the king no more, except the king delighted in her, and that she were called by name. Now, when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go into the king. And I'll explain this, but I just want to read it to you. When, when it was her turn to come into the king, she required nothing. But what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the woman, appointed. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her. Now, understand, the king of the land was looking for a wife. This is what was happening. He was looking for a wife. Now listen, if you're the king, you can get any woman you want. Okay? You're the king. In this day and age, you're the, you, you can get any, king, any woman you want. So you know what they did? So they went out to all the land. And I don't know how many women. It might say it somewhere, but I don't, I don't know necessarily. But uh, they, they got, let's just say, like the hundred most beautiful women in all the land. Okay, so think, think about it like this. You know, we, maybe we had a king in, in the United States and, and they were wanting to get married. And so they went throughout all of the United States and, and got 
the 100 most beautiful women in all of the United States. So these, these ladies are probably pretty good looking. Why is it it's tense in here for some reason? I don't My word. So you, so you have, you have these, these hundred most, most beautiful women in all the land, and they're all gathered together in this temple, and, and, and they are going to go before the king, and he's going to look at them, and out of these hundred of the most beautiful ones, he's going to pick the one he thinks is the most beautiful out of all of them. And, and all of the potential brides, the Bible says, they could have whatever they wanted. And, and I, I don't know, but I, I read somewhere, maybe commentary or scripture or whatever, but it said that, that there was the preparation time for this was literally months and months. It was not just like overnight, like, you know, hey, try to get ready real quick and go before. The, no, it was months. And, and they were like bathing in these oils and they were, you know, having these, all this stuff done to them just day after day after day in, in hopes of, you know, even though they were the most beautiful in all the land already, they were trying to become that much more beautiful. And they could ask whatever they wanted. They could have whatever they wanted. And so many of them asked to be all painted up and, and have all kinds of ornaments and all kinds of costly, costly jewelry. But the Bible says that Esther asked for nothing. Nothing. No makeup, no costlier jewelry. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Just how I am. Just how God created me. And the king picks her out of all the other. Esther was accepted for who she was, not for what she appeared to be. And I absolutely believe that the blessings of God will fall on those who separate themselves in this area as well. One author, I was reading, one, one author uh, try, was trying to justify, you know, costly jewelry and all this stuff and, and makeup. And, and he said this, and I quote, God does not require a drab and dull appearance. So why shouldn't a woman try to look nice? And he was saying in a reference to makeup and jewelry. God does not require a drab and dull appearance. So why shouldn't a woman put all this stuff on? Now, I'm not a woman, but if I was a woman, that would completely offend me. For what he's saying is, you are ugly until you put the makeup on. And then you're pretty until you wash it off at night, and then you're ugly again. This statement not only offends God, but it offends women. For who says a woman is dull and drab unless she wears makeup and jewelry? Who says that? Who says a woman's personality is dull unless she attempts to look seductive and showy? Certainly a Christian woman should seek to be attractive both appearance and, in, in her appearance and personality. Sure, that's, that's fine. My wife's hot. But so, so Christian, Christian women should, yeah, you should seek to, to, to be attractive in both appearance, just, just like Christian men should. But however, we reject the notion that it takes cosmetics to make a woman attractive. I reject that notion. What is wrong with God's creative ability? What is wrong with natural beauty? 
What is wrong with the beauty that emanates from within? What is wrong with that? Somebody said amen. So, we've already alluded to the fact, as we're talking about some of this makeup, we're alluded to the fact that we also feel from Scripture that that jewelry is another form of vanity, can be another form of vanity, and therefore it's, it's contrary to the teachings of modesty. Now listen, listen, if you're wearing makeup tonight, don't, don't start squirming and feeling all embarrassed. If you got jewelry on, we're going to talk about pants in a little while. If you got pants on your woman, don't, don't get all embarrassed and, you know, looking around. And, no, don't, just, okay, we love you, okay? We, we don't look at you any differently. We love you. If you're a new convert, bless God, you're, you're on a journey just like the rest of us. God's going to help you just like he helped us. So don't be embarrassed by any of this. I just want to show you what the word of God says so that you can look at it for yourself, so that you can be obedient for yourself, and so you can see why we look the way we look and why we do the things we do. Somebody said amen. So, so, let, so let's talk about this a little bit. Let's talk about jewelry and, 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 and how we believe it's contrary to the teachings of moderation. First Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel. I believe that the scripture clearly defines here a principle against all showy and expensive displays on the outside. Gold and jewelry and all this kind of stuff. Even clothing. And this, this applies to both men and women. It's not just the women. This is the men and the women. We as a church feel that since earrings and necklaces and bracelets are, are clearly uh, ornamental, or ornamentation, they, they serve no other function other than to simply draw the attentions of others to them. That's the only function they have. To draw the attention of somebody who is looking at you, that we feel that that goes against the teachings of modesty. For who do we want people to see? Us or the Christ that's in us? And therefore, we simply choose not to wear those kind of things. Somebody said amen. While other items such as watches and tie tacks and cufflinks and hair clips, those things serve a function. And therefore, we feel like those could pass the criteria for being modest. Now, I know some pastors and churches that don't. They say, you know, watches is jewelry. And, you know, tie tacks and cufflinks and all this kind of stuff. I've preached to churches where I knew ahead of time, don't wear the cufflinks. And I'm not going to wear them because I don't want to offend somebody. If, if, if it's a stumbling block to you, I'm not going to do that. That's biblical, very biblical. But, but here we, we, we feel like that's, you know, watches and tie tacks and, you know, uh, a, a modest brooch on, on you know, a woman, whatever, hair, whatever, that, that, that these things are okay. Even though those things, all those things that I just mentioned can be immodest. A watch, even though it serves a function, can absolutely be immodest. If someone buys it and wears it just because it's flashy, and that's the only hand they worship God with. See, what time is it? 
See, if, 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 you, if you're doing that, you've done it for the wrong reasons. You know, I mean, cufflinks, they serve a purpose. You know, I got a pair, but, but you know, when I purchased them, I, my, the thought was modesty. And, and, but, you know, you can get some immodest cufflinks. So I'm just, I'm not, you know, I'm not telling you what to do or, or I'm just, I'm saying if, when, in looking at all of these things, you, you need to keep this in mind. What is, what is modest? What is my, what is my purpose for wearing these things? What is my purpose for buying this particular watch or this particular tie thing or this particular, you know, I, I listen, I'm not. I just want you to think about this, but I, I've, I've seen watches, watches on, you know, that, that had all kinds of jewelry, stony looking things, and, and the face of the watch was like, it couldn't even tell time on it because it was so small, but it was a watch. So I, the principle is modesty. The principle is modesty. But very quickly, we also need to talk about God's preference. 806. We need to talk about God's preference for there to be gender distinction in our dress. Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5. Okay, if, if you've been coming to this church maybe for a little while and, you, and you've been thinking, why in the world do all these women wear dresses all the time? I'm about to tell you. And if you don't have a dress on, it is fine. We're going to teach. We're going to talk. Let the holiness of God deal with you. Because we believe that when you see it and you get it, you're going to join right up with us because you're going to see that separation equals blessing. But watch this. Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, so, so these are some pretty strong words here. Now, for, for those of you who, who don't know it, again, this is why we believe it is right and it is godly for, for women to wear skirts as opposed to pants. And we'll get more into that in, into just a minute. But first off, just know that there was always going to be people who are going to try to discredit and, you know, what we believe, and, and they're, they're going to do that, and we're always going to have that. But what, what the people will say, one of the arguments they're going to say about this, and teenagers, let me tell you something. You, you probably heard this. Maybe you were kind of questioning the doctrine and separation. You got online. You started looking at things and all this kind of stuff, and you saw all kinds of stuff come up online, and this is probably one of the arguments. Number one, that's probably not a real good thing, not just for the, the teenagers, but for anybody. There's a whole lot of very... Cynical, mean-spirited, driven by devils, people that are on there saying stuff about the way we believe. So don't, don't, you, you got to know, you got to, don't, don't take their word for it. You don't even know these people. You don't know their method. You don't know their motive. Anyway, but one of the things, one of the things that they're, they're, they're going to say is, uh, here, here's one of the arguments concerning this verse that we just read, Deuteronomy 22 and 5. Because one of the arguments is they're going to say, well, the verse prior to this and after this talk about God telling the people that when they build a house, they have to put a fence around the roof. And they can't wear wool and linen together. 
And if you find a bird's nest, you can take the eggs for food, but you can't take the mother bird for food. And on and on the list goes of the things that God required of his people. And their argument is that they argue that if you're going to take this verse in Deuteronomy chapter 22 and 5 and say that it's true for today, then we need to take all the other verses and say that they're true for today. So if you're going to preach that uh, women uh, not wear that which pertains to a man, man can't wear that which pertains to a woman, you also have to to preach that you can't wear wool and linen at the same time. So that's their argument. And if we're not willing to teach all of these other things, then we can't teach this thing. First off, this argument is not valid because in the same chapter, in verse 22, it contains laws against adultery. In verses 22 through 27, it speaks of the laws against rape. In verse 30, it speaks of the laws against incest. So therefore, Have these laws become void as well? Is adultery still wrong? Is incest still wrong? Is rape still wrong? Obviously not. These these are are obviously yes, but obviously not. These, These laws and commands have not become null and void. For the key to interpreting this chapter is to realize that Christ, and you gotta, you got to use your brain a little bit here, Christ's death abolished the ceremonial law, but not the moral law. The ceremonial law was you, if you can get the eggs out of the nest, but you can't take the mother for food. And the ceremonial law was you can't wear wool and linen at the same time, and you can't, you know, do the eat the whatever in its own blood and all this kind of stuff. That that was the ceremonial law. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he when at his death, he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law. But you don't fulfill the moral law. God's moral law does not change. Because the morality of God does not change. Am I making sense? The Bible says that God is the same. You get punished for that. Murder, you're going to com- commit uh, all these things. There's going to be penalties for what you've done. But what we have to understand here is that verse 5 is a part of that moral law that's never been done away with. For the morality of God is still calling for there to be a distinction of dress between men and women. Because of this fact, and because of the fact that that pants in our society have traditionally been associated with men's apparel, this is why we think it best for women to not wear that which pertains to a man. But to wear dresses and skirts so as for there to be no question of her apparel. The, the book says for women not to wear that which pertaineth. Somebody say pertaineth to a man. That word pertaineth means to relate to, have reference to, or be appropriate for. Its Latin root word means to reach towards. In other words, she must not allow, young people listen to me, she must not allow her feminine apparel to reach towards or even slightly relate to or be appropriate for or resemble a man's clothing at all. That's what it's saying. 
An argument that some use to discredit this verse is that they say that, that, that well, everyone in Scripture wore robes. They, they, they all wore robes, both the men and the women. And So, so how can you teach distinction? God teaches distinction. Think, just think, think about how illogical their, their reasoning is there. They're old, in the Old Testament, if it was just an Old Testament thing, even though it's not, but if it just was, God says, men should not wear that which pertaineth or even looks even similar to a woman. A woman should not wear that which even is similar to a man. And then they come up and say, well, back in that day, they just all wore robes and you couldn't tell any difference. That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> to say this is to say that God doesn't know what he's talking about. If he says there's to be a distinction in the sexes in what we wear, then even if they did wear robes, which they did, there would have been, had to have been major distinctions in the robes that they wore. Because God said, I don't want you to wear anything that pertains to a man if you're a woman or a woman if you're a man. So even if you're all wearing robes, there better be major distinctions in the robes that you're wearing. So don't listen to that lie that says, well, they just all wore robes. Carry it through a little bit. Think it through a little bit. It's, it's, a, it's an article on face value that they want to use to just live however they want to live and, and circumvent this verse. But if you start thinking it through, you realize there's no validity to that. In fact, the custom of that day was that women wore longer tunics, which was ankle length and larger mantles that men, uh, than, than men. Their clothing was more elaborate than a man. All women, with the exception of servants and the most poor, wore veils. There was a complete distinction. Another thing you find when reading about the custom of that day was that the Pharisees in the first century made a list of clothes that you could save from a house that was burning on the Sabbath day. <laughs> Remember, they made all those things, those lists and those rules. But they made a list that if, if, your house, if your house is burning on the Sabbath day, you can't just go in and get everything because it's, you know, the day of rest or whatever. So there's, there's specific things that you can only get. Now, that's a pharisaical attitude, but the point is that on that list, pants and breeches were both on the list in the category for males' clothing and not women's clothing. So we see that Scripture and history teach us that men and women did not wear the same clothing or a unisex-type clothing, but there was a distinction of the sexes in dress according to God's command. Somebody said Amen. Church, it's, it's, it's pretty plain to me that God desires gender distinction in the way that we dress. And in order to be obedient to this, to this verse, in order to be obedient to this, we have decided, and the word of the Lord is bearing it out, that it is best for our men to wear pants and for our women to wear something that is not at all close to pants. And the only thing in our society that does not even resemble pants is skirts and dresses. Somebody said amen. You, you know as well as I, when, 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 a, when a, a girl, a woman puts on a pair of pants, they're, they, they don't act as feminine. It's just a reality that women tend to act and look more feminine in a dress. Come, come prom time. What, what do all the girls want to wear? 
Why? Because come prom time, they want to look feminine. And they want to look like a girl. And so they want to wear a dress. You, I see signs, prom time, prom dresses, prom dresses, prom dresses. I've never yet to see one that said prom dress slacks suit for a girl. I've never seen it. Now, now listen, this, is, this would never be my main argument, but I'm, I'm trying to show you what society, this would never be my main argument, but if you go, if you go to a, a restroom and you see the symbol on the door, what do you see? For the men and for the women. What's on the women? You, you got the little stickers. Listen, I, just, I was following some guy on the way to, way to church today. You got the little stickers on the back window that everybody's got that has the husband and the wife and the little kids and the dogs. What does the woman have? She has a dress on. Why? Because if you put a pair of pants on that little symbol. They're going to think what? They got two dads. Amen. Amen. Somebody said amen. Let me skip. I'm, I'm, I'm going too long. Sorry, babe. Cutting into your time. But let me, listen, here's the thing. The same people who argue against the point I'm making would never say it's okay for a man to wear a dress. Think about it. They would never say it's okay for a man to wear a dress. But it's okay for a woman to wear pants. And just because the women in our society have wore pants for many years does not make it right. For if that's how we're going to govern, if that's how we're going to draw our lines for, for holiness, then that means if men start wearing dresses for the next 20 years, then 20 years down the road, it's okay for a man to wear a dress. Why? Because men have been wearing dresses for 20 years. Do you see what I'm saying? you got to think through this stuff. Come on, preacher. All, all the men are wearing dresses. Right? That's where it would be 20 years from now. 30. Come on, preacher. Are you, are you, you guys are, I can't believe you guys are drawing that line there. You guys are so antiquated. You guys are so behind the times. You guys are so legalistic. All the men are wearing skirts. See, the thing is, is you guys are like, oh, that's just weird. That would be so weird. It's exactly what happened with the women. And it would not be any more weird 30 years from now if it happens. So where does that stop? At what point are we just going to live in a world that's dominated by unisex clothing where a half a block away you can't tell if it's a dude or a girl? The standard that God set up is gender distinction. He says, I don't want anything that even pertains one to another. I'm done. I got to stop. Here, this, the last thing. Ladies, I love you. Listen to me very carefully. If there's been something that has been taught this week that you do not understand or that you were offended by or that you were confused or that you disagree with, don't sit there in silence. I'm not talking about right now. I'm talking about for the next weeks and months to come. And let that just harbor and harbor and harbor until you stop coming to church over it. Don't just harbor those feelings or those confusions in your mind. We want to help you understand we are, why we are so passionate about this message of holiness. 
Because we believe if, if you'll get it as well, you'll, you'll be just as passionate. And it'll be the blessing in your life that it is to our life. So in saying that, as I close, the Word of God says this, Titus 2 and 3. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not giving too much wine, teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers of the home, good, obedient to their own husbands. And the word of God is not blasphemy. It's talking about, it's talking about the women who have been in church for a while. Those who are the, the, the elders, uh, not necessarily old, but just those who are, uh, have the seasoned women of God. And so listen, if you are newer and if you are struggling in some of these areas, please, please, please talk with one of these seasoned ladies in our church so that they can instruct you further in everything that we've been talking about. There's no way I could cover everything. There's so much more beautiful stuff to this, but talk with them because we know that when you get this, when you get this revelation of separation, you'll understand it is a blessing. It is an absolute blessing. Somebody said amen. Amen. Is this all right?